Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Hyunhye, or Angela So, who is a member of the band Shushu, and also generates solo works for instruments including piano, Angela's wonderful piano playing, electronics, and gong as well. The new album that she just released on Room 40, Eel, has all of these elements intermingled in a way where the edges become indivisible. It's just this swirl of resonances that you get caught up in. There's a real free flow to it, which is very apparent in Angela's piano playing, which splays in so many different directions at once. It's hard to know where to place your focal point. And in that respect, it's kind of different to her previous Room 40 album, Strands, where the piano playing occurred on, on distinct pieces on the album's second half, and then you had the more abstractly resonant pieces in the first half. On Eel, there's a real intermingling, a real vigour as well. This reaches some pretty uh, hearty crescendos on Eel. Such a good record. So I'll put links in the show notes so you can check it out. And talking to Hyun Hye was wonderful as well. She picked three eclectic records, had so many stories to tell. We talked about her piano practice, her memories associated with these records, uh, her experiences uh, in terms of making a career or a living out of music in Shushu, so much more as well. So if you're enjoying the podcast, you can go over to coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening if you wish to support it too. You can donate one off or monthly, any amount you please, just to help keep the show ticking. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, this was a really good conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. This is Hyunkei So on Crucial Listen. Hello, Hyunhye, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. Thank you for coming on the podcast. So we're here to talk about three important albums that you've brought to the table. Before we get to those, I want to talk about your new solo album, Eel, which is your second collection of solo soundworks for Room 40 and follows on from Strand. So I listened to a different interview, actually, where you mentioned that you started working on solo material again pretty soon after Strand's was wrapped up so to start with uh i wanted to ask about what did going from strands into eel look like like did you take stuff from strands that informed how you wanted to go about eel yeah what did that transition look like between the two i don't know i don't think there was as much of a conscious (laughs) transition that i'm thinking about it i think it was just i finished the first one and then i was like well how about next one? What? And then I just started making some sounds. Um, but I think actually a transition within 
eel was pretty dramatic. I would say the first version I made sounded really nothing like what I ended up with in the end. Hmm. Um, in some ways, I felt like maybe I was consciously, a little too consciously trying to do something that was different from strands. Hmm. Um, but in some ways, maybe that did not feel totally natural to me. So obviously, after experimenting with some sounds a little bit and seeing how they work, um, at some point, it just seemed like it made a really big pivot in terms of the editing and the sounds I were using. And then it turned out to be like a very different album. Hmm. Um, so I think at some point I took a recording from a previous version and I had played it for myself trying to find some piece and I was like, what the hell is this song? And I realized like, <laughs> it's completely different. So I, wouldn't, I don't know if I really had a thought about, you know, a smooth transition per se. I really just kind of just picked it right up onto the next one. <laughs> right, nice, yeah. So, I mean, I see over the past few years you've been doing some improvisatory performances, right, with piano and gong. Mm-hmm. Um, Doing those performances, have they fed into how you think about doing your solo work on record as well and the kind of things that you think you want to steer into when doing your recording? Definitely. I have to admit that it's. I never try to replicate the recorded album when I'm playing live Mm. just because the recording, you know, it's a lot of editing um, in terms of taking the raw material and, you know, like re-recording it after it's played out through an amp and using room reverb, um, different types of effects, and just a lot of layering between different sounds as well. Um, Mm. So it's not something that I could really do alone. Um, At the same time, I really like those layer sounds. So when I'm trying to play live, I'm trying to figure out how I can recreate recreate a broad range of textures and sounds, but not through a pre-recorded version. Because I also don't really like the idea of just playing with a laptop or a lot of pre-recorded sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the physicality of playing live instruments. That's why I have the piano and I have the gong. Um, at the same time, having those kind of those things go and either make more like droning or ambient or continuous noises uh, is something that I'm really constantly trying to figure out and improvise on. Um, And a lot of times when experimenting with those live sounds or the live set, sometimes I'll make a sound that I really like and then I'll be like, where's my mic? And I'll just like (laughs) run and like start recording it. That's great. The gong, you mentioned, well, I mentioned gongs as well. Both say the word gongs. Uh, how long have you been playing the gong? I mean, it's such a. It's uh, you mentioned the layered sounds on this record. So I think what I love most about this album is that there are so many points where you cannot tell what is like a metallic resonance, what might mm-hmm. be a synthesizer, um, which is lovely. And I've really sort of done the audio equivalent to squinting to try and like <laughs> unpick different things it's really quite addictive in that sense but yeah tell me about your relationship with the gong how long have you been playing that and yeah um i don't know where we ended up with 
just like a giant gong. I think Jamie <laughs> might have bought it at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why he decided to buy a huge gong. <laughs> But I do remember, like, I was in the studio one day, and there it was. Um, and I had, you know, obviously never thought about gongs, to be honest. Like, I'm already Asian, right? Like, I can't be going around playing gongs. Like, that's just too much. <laughs> but, you know, once I started playing around with it, you know, they're not like those d- dinky, like, almost toy gongs, the ones you find in massage parlors or something that are, like, meant just to create a very flat sound, but like really well-made gongs make such an incredible depth of sound. I think mm. I was truly blown away. Um, and then just, I think that was just it. It just started like one big gong appearing in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I just started looking around for a few different gongs to make different tones. Um, I'm trying to not buy more gongs because they're not like the lightest or the cheapest things to mm-hmm. own. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. um, but I mean, and so I think it's been, I mean, to, to actually like play it probably around the time that I really started doing the solo stuff, like three or four years um, that I started really using it as an instrument. And you mentioned a bit about obviously recording and reamping stuff um how quickly did this record come together because hearing that i imagine that you could totally get into some feedback loops of processing sounds and tweaking the various different variables that you're bringing in so yeah how swiftly did it all come together this one actually took quite a while um as i mentioned it it had a lot of different versions and transitions Mm. And I also had a big move. Like, I moved from Los Angeles to L.A. at the time. Uh, I mean, sorry, from L.A. to Berlin. And I have to say, you know, when I re-listened to it, it was like a very, in a very different environment. I also made some real significant changes to it. Mm. Um, and also Lawrence, who helped produce it, um, when I've sent in previous versions to what as some definitely as some like amazing I don't know what it does. I mean I have to say Lawrence is a real particular and amazing producer and sometimes we like mm. I mean, he because he's produced some shoe albums too. Sometimes we send stuff to him and he sent it back and we're like, What the fuck did you do? <laughs> yeah, Why does yeah. it sound so amazing? <laughs> right? Like yeah. what plug you know you're using, right? <laughs> like no clue. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, whereas before a lot of time, you know, it was like, okay, this sounds great. Thanks, Lawrence. Um, put it out. There was some kind of more back and forth because hearing that inspired some more things I wanted to play around with and some more editing and adding extra layers to it. Um, so I would say it took um, on and off a year or more to kind oh, of nice. get it all together. Yeah. That's great. Um, last thing I want to ask about here, and I'm not asking you to like over-explain the concept, so mm-hmm. appreciate if you don't want to say too much, but let's talk about eels briefly. So there's a note you included in the press text where you talk about eels travelling several thousands of miles to Sargasso to breed, and that no human has ever seen it. It's really just just some great eel insights on that paragraph, but I'm really intrigued as to how or why or when eels started to feel kind of relevant to the music that you were putting together for this one yeah i hate to break anyone's like idea of 
you know, concept or conceptual thinking, but I really, <laughs> <laughs> like, I often don't have, like, um, when I'm writing music, and especially when I'm doing a lot of improvisational music, I don't often sit down with, like, the theme of eels or crows or something in my mind. A lot of times I just start playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of see where it goes. So, it, full disclosure, the title came after I was like, oh, shit, now I need a title because this is going <laughs> to be released. <laughs> um, and it's a little bit of a nerve-wracking process for me, I have to admit, like... You know, coming up with band names or titles of mm. songs or whatever, pretty terrible. As you can see by my amazing titles, Eel 1 and Eel 2 for the tracks <laughs> and the strands 1 and strands 2 for the previous album. You know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's, you know, it's a lot of times I just think about like what is something that comes up for me that just has a resonance and feels like some connection to my music. Mm. or what I've made out. So a lot of times the images and the visuals or the themes kind of come together that it, it follows the music. Mm. That's great. I mean, I love leaving it like that because obviously it allows everyone to ha- sort of twist the music and the title together as well. So that's very cool. Um, the album, uh, I hope I'm conveying this, is wonderful. Uh, I hope people check it out as well listening to this. I will include links in the show notes and encourage you to go and click on those and listen to the record it is really great um so yeah okay let's go to your important records now so one question i like to ask at this point is about how you thought about the word important when picking your three records so was there a way that you thought about the word important when coming up with the list of records that you did yeah i was thinking what I mean three is really hard it's one to say to like ten or one but three I'm like shit what combination is gonna make me sound really cool (laughs) and not get laughed out of the room by all the music nerds right because if you're like what albums that you listen to the most when you're like having a shitty mood or something I don't know. I, I'm sure it's some like terrible pop radio that I don't even know the name of, right? I'll just like turn on Kiss FM in LA or whatever. Like, anyways. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I I really thought about it as okay. Sincerely, what are three albums that I find myself going back to over the years? And if I'm feeling kind of stuck or I'm feeling in almost any mood that I can just pick up and listen to and find. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's always inspiration. I think some of it is inspirational, but also just, I don't know. I don't know if it's comfort or soothing because some of them are not soothing at all, but Mm -hmm. just something that I I just feel connected to in some way and can keep listening to it no matter how many years have passed. And these three are ones that I do keep coming back to. Great answer. So, I don't know if there's one that you wanted to take first. Um, yeah, which one do you want to talk about? Yeah, I would start with Chris Watson because nice. that's the when people say what's the one album that you love, then that's the one I pick. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, great. So, yeah. L Train Phantasma. Yeah, and in it, 
Mm-hmm. And it's um, just field recordings from this train ride he took, and then obviously he's done some editing. But I mean, I think it's one of the albums that really made me realize how incredible just field recordings can be. Mm. Um, and really shifted my perspective. I remember I always appreciated it, and I know he released a number of albums before that that's really remarkable and you know creates a very, very fascinating soundscape. But I don't know, something about this one really struck me um, and always manages to get me into a bit of a trance that I really love. Do you remember how you first discovered it? I was just a Chris Watson fan. Uh-huh. So I think when it came out, um, I probably was like, oh, what's this? Let me pick it up and check it out. Nice. Um, one interesting fact I saw about you and this record is that um, I think you did an AMA a couple of years back, and it was like this and Roy Orbison's Crying were the only two records you had downloaded on your phone, <laughs> which is so, that's amazing. Um, oh yeah, I forgot all about Roy Orbison's crying. But <laughs> yeah. oh my god, because that be number four, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, three is. That's me, my road trip album. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. Because <laughs> so I, I'm in tr- I'm so fascinated by that that these two albums, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you could download those two, and then that's it. You've got your fill of what you need close by. What is mm. it? Do you think? Always hard to articulate. I know about L Train Phantasma that makes it a record that you just want to have by your person and you don't need you know you got Roy Obson as well but you don't need anything else beyond that what is it about this Chris Watson record hmm that's interesting I think if I don't always love music or sound I'm not one of those people who needs to who listens to a lot of music Mm. Um, a lot of times it's just really intentional. Like I have to be at a point where I say I really want to listen to music. I mean, I'll do it when I'm jogging or, you know, or working out here and there at the rare times I do. But that's like backup music, right? That's uh-huh. like f- like physical, like my body needs to hear something to get moving type music. But if I'm really listening, um, it's always a really intentional process. Um, mm. And I think this album is a one that really fills that space in the right way. Um, like when I want to listen to music. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. <laughs> I think what's really fascinating about this is um, you took, you know, as you say, this is a record that you really want to listen to intentionally. Um, and, you know, it gives so much back. Um, you know, you say you don't listen to like a ton of music, but the way you talk about listening to this Chris Watson record really intentionally kind of speaks to like a, an affection for what Chris has made. So yeah, why is it you don't think you listen to like loads of different music? Is it because that you get a lot from the few artifacts you pick up or? Yeah. I don't know if it really has to do with... I mean, I, I, I definitely think that me choosing this album as my like standard and having it always with me is speaks to its value for me. But as for why I don't always listen to a lot of music, 
I think it's a few different reasons. One is I didn't really grow up a lot of, around a lot of music. And like my mm. my family was not a music growing music listening household, so it's not like we had a, a record player. Well, I don't really really even remember the radio being on in the house. Right. So I think you kind of grow up without music, uh, except in like very intentional settings in like the church or the school music class or something. Right. You know? Yeah. Um. And then I, as I got an order, I think I really come to recognize music and sound um, in a broader sense as something that takes up space, um, mental, emotional, physical space. Mm. And it can be invasive and it can be draining and it can also be really manipulative. Mm. And, you know, sometimes like you're, you're doing something and you're in a certain state of mind and some piece of music comes on, it can completely change the mood of the whole situation, mm. you know? And that's mm-hmm. especially dangerous nowadays when you're like in the streaming mode, right? And like the radio is on. <laughs> and I just don't like right. that. Like, I just don't like, um, I mean, sometimes you do, like sometimes that's fine. But if I don't want that to be happening and I'm not up for surprises, like... I don't like the music or the sound invading my space <laughs> and telling me what to feel. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a whole ton of sense. I think you know it is very potent. I I think as well. It, what's interesting with doing this podcast, I think people have that spectrum of sensitivities. I think to those kind of musical moods. Definitely mm. seems like the dynamic is different for a lot of people. That's been kind of interesting to dig into doing this this show, but um. Yeah, to return to El Train Fantasma, I mean, is there a track in particular that sticks out for you as like a favorite? I know it's a record that you want to pop on for the whole thing, but yeah, is there any moments or tracks that really protrude for you? Yeah, I think it's in the Divisadero. Mm. It's the mm-hmm. part where it's just the rumbling of the train and mm-hmm. it's just like a steady like rumble on the tracks. And then he starts morphing that and just making it like more deeper and broader and it gets into this like boomy reverberant um just like feels the entire i keep saying space (laughs) you know but it does it becomes like a very big immersive deep sound and like when that moment hits oh i'm just like i'm like cheering you know i'm like yeah you fucking did it you did it chris this sounds amazing (laughs) oh my god yeah, there is definitely, there is that moment, I think, where it's almost like Chris opens a trap door beneath you because it doesn't really get at those frequencies until that moment in the record. It's pretty, like, whoa, like it's mm-hmm. it's amazing over headphones. Um, mm-hmm. I should say as well for, for context, a couple of things. I mean, first thing, first thing is uh, this is the second time this record has come up, actually. There's uh, Joseph Kamaru. Uh, picked this one as one of his important mm-hmm. records as well and picked um, El Visadero as a track <laughs> as well his, nice. his favourite yeah um, and this whole album captures a train journey as you say it's uh, you know Chris Watson captures this train journey from Los Mocos to Veracruz in Mexico mm-hmm. and it hadn't been running for over a decade, I think, when this album came out. And there's this, obviously, it's El Train Fantasma, I think, translates as the ghost train, right? So there's this lovely sense of this spectre of the train haunting the 
album there are some lovely moments on this where you're kind of like it feels like chris has edited in just the faint suggestion of a train at Mm. some part of the space traveling along Mm. presumably where the train no longer exists and nature has like overgrown the tracks or that's what's going on in my head but those are the moments for me on this record where i'm like oh my goodness this is so so much it's it's not just there's so much more narrative than just field recording right that's what it feels like yeah and that's exactly what i was thinking about as you're speaking it's like there's a narrative it's like an entire novel that he's written from beginning to end right like you follow the journey of this train Mm. like it's it's really beautifully um like put together and arranged in a way that really takes you like you feel like you're on this train ride Mm. Yeah. yeah Totally. It, especially, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It is literally, it's literally a journey. So it starts with the train leaving quite explicitly mm-hmm. in a way that I think could be quite corny if it was done wrong and right, then ends right. by saying this service has ceased, you know, and, um, but it feels, it feels right because Chris yeah. feels in the middle so beautifully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that this opened up your, awareness or maybe that's not right phrasing but basically was like wow field recording can do this Mm. um has that taken you anywhere else in terms of your listening to field recording like did discovering this record then push you more into listening to field recording or yeah did anything like that happen yeah definitely um just kind of seeing you know, I think people kind of get this idea like you talk about field recordings and there's a guy with a very, very expensive recording equipment out there in silence in the middle of a desert <laughs> trying to get sounds, right? And telling everyone to shut the fuck up, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> or like, I mean, I think Lawrence was telling the story, speaking of which, like he was in the Arctic boat sometime and he was trying to get the sounds of like the ice breaking over his boat so he had to like lean over and almost fell into the like arctic water the antarctic water or something like that's what you think of right (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah so i think in some ways like me being a self-professed like music luddite like not really being that into technical stuff i think i always saw it as kind of a different genre or a different world of sound um, that I can appreciate but not really like engage with on a deeper level probably because I didn't feel like I had that you know I I, I don't know there was something kind of very distant for me about it mm. um, but I think in some ways this one made it feel like there I think perhaps the real blatant like storytelling aspect really Mm. engaged me and in a lot of ways then I came to view sound recordings and that kind of broadly speaking that genre and that field of music as something that is capturing more than just you know bird sounds and animal sounds right it's also capturing all the stories and Mm. um and that not only capturing it, but the way that it can convey, it can be conveyed, takes so much art too, that I don't think I was thinking about as much. So, you know, I think we also work with um, one of our good friends, Ian Wellman. 
He does a lot of field recordings. He has a couple records out in Room 40 as well, and he has contributed a few field recordings that we included in our previous Shusha record. And just like in general, I think I'm, I feel more open to it as another like wide palette of sounds to, um, to incorporate. And it doesn't always have to be just like bird sounds or the sound of like chains clanking in the wind, you know? <laughs> or construction noise. <laughs> like, okay, we got enough of those, got it. <laughs> Cool, Hyunhei, let's go to your second important album now. Which one do you want to go for next? Um, I guess the next one we can go to PJ Harvey. Wicked. Great pivot. <laughs> I love how eclectic these are, by the way. This is a really great trio. Um, yeah, so To Bring You My Love, 1995. Um, yeah, give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. I'm kind of starting to realize that a lot of these are like road trip music. I think that's where I, because Probably. I listen to a lot of sounds, right? When I'm these like long stretches of driving and I'm alone driving in the car on an open freeway, that's when I'm like, oh, I'm ready to be invaded by sounds. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, like manipulate me, make me feel stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Like save me from the deadness that's inside of me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Got nothing else going on. Right. Hit me with some sound. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. And PJ Harvey, I mean, this album. And the, I mean, the, I also love Dry, um, but this one I really feel like all the songs are freaking bangers, if I can call it that. And, you know, I mean, she did something for music, and especially for music for women. Um, and in terms of, like, what we can do and how we can sing and how we can present. And mm. also, I mean, these, I don't know, I think there's something about just the tone of this album and the sound quality of it that I just really love. Um, do you remember how you discovered this one? Um, you know, I listened to it a little bit in college. I was listening to some PJ Harvey and a lot of other stuff, but I think I really fell in love with this album maybe like seven or eight years ago. I was doing the Twin Peaks um, tours mm. and somehow kind of came across this album again and then got hooked on it at that time ah, right that's interesting because yeah. you've mentioned as well this one just uh, edges out like the other ones you could have picked by PJ mm-hmm. Harvey yeah um, tell me a bit about that what is it about this one as you say like it's got a lot of bangers on it what is it about this record that just gives it the edge as the important one do you think i think it's just because it's the bangers it's just fun (laughs) you know like song after song they're hooky but they're not like 
like superficial pop hooky, you know? They got mm. like meat and bones to them, and I don't know, like you can sing along to almost the entire album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's just, just like, it just, I think it's the most. I don't know. Dare dare I say it's the most fun album? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you mentioned her voice as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing. I think what I love is how often on this album she kind of plays the microphone almost like an amp and really mm-hmm. leans into the distortion. And yeah, what is it about BJ Harvey's singing on this record that yeah really connects for you? You know, I think I can maybe venture into theorizing about, you know, how unusually beautiful, like not in the conventional sense her voice is, or sometimes like the masculine quality of it. And me, I don't consider myself a singer. And I've, you know, as mentioned before, I'm very self-conscious about my voice. Mm. So kind of appreciating the, you know, what you can call an unconventionality of her voice. But you know, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think there's, she has a certain tone and a quality to her voice that is very emotional um, mm. and is able to carry these lyrics. I have to say these lyrics are not easy lyrics, you know, like mm-hmm. for somebody to sing. Like if some someone else sang it, I think they could have come off as like very cheesy or inappropriate even. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's some way that she does it that feels right, and then I think she she pulls it off beautifully. And it, it's one of those things that is just hard to quantify or like explicitly qualify, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and to return to the bangers, do you have favorite bangers on this one? <sighs> there's a few, but I love Z Monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like I I do that when I'm like DJing, oh, and then nice. once you cool. yeah, once you play that, like everyone else, you know, like you have to keep playing bangers from then on, right? That's like there's no turning back from that <laughs> yes, song. Yes, you set the bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that one I read was um like a response to Beefheart, right? There's oh. a his song Tropical Hot Dog Night talks about. The young girls coming out to meet the monster tonight um oh. and so she wrote a song i think the this album actually is to, to bring you my love you can tell i've been on the wiki page um starts with like a beef heart lyric i think and then that song is like a response to that meet the monster line from beef heart which is yeah which is super interesting i also have this like terrible i wouldn't say a rule but Generally, I don't read anything about musicians or musics or albums, like backgrounds or history or anything. Ah, okay. <laughs> wow. You, um, yeah, why so is that? So a lot that of times, like, I don't know anything about the artist. Um, I mean, one is I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's few people that I'm interested in, right? That I'm like, oh, like, this person is really amazing. And anytime I read about their words or, like... You know, for example, I got, when I read, there was, like, Herzog on Herzog or Lynch on Lynch, where it's, like, interviews, and it's a collection of interviews and stuff. Or, like, Nick Cave's interviews, I find pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. overall, I just find musicians are 
terrible people like all of us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. um, a lot of times I have a lot of faults and there's a lot of like, too, I mean, I think it, it puts too much into the music itself and I become unable to enjoy the music for what it is, mm. mm-hmm. you know? And also, you have to, like, I mean, I have to admit that a lot of times when you hear about musicians nowadays, it's not because they did something amazing. It's always because they did something shitty. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's like, the less I hear about them, and like, I mean, like, Morrissey and the Smiths are ruined for me forever. Like, I used to love <laughs> the Smiths, and now I can't listen to them at all. Like... So yeah. I just, I mean, maybe it's terrible because I'm sure one day, like, I'll stupidly pick an album that, like, some like, Trump supported me and I had no idea it was a Trump supporter. <laughs> but... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you seen PJ Harvey live? No, I haven't. I also don't go to a lot of concerts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the worst musician there is. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Like, it seems that these records are giving you enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the impression I'm getting, which is great. Like, I feel like. Have it, you seen PJ Happy Live? I think so. Have you gone to I was. Yeah. Uh, I went to Primavera um, mm. a few years back, and I think she played there. Although um, memory is hazy, but it was before I got into her. In fact, um, this new album. Have you heard the new album she just put mm-hmm, out? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? I don't have an opinion on it yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> oh, interesting. Right. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's like, it probably will be one of my favorite things this year. Um, yeah, stunning. And it was lovely that you picked this record because I'd not actually listened to this album at all. So you you covered a song from this record, right? Back in 2020? I think I'm a mother. Yeah, was it 2020? Yeah, it was when we were doing all the um, series, right? The part of our subscription series. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, um, How did you end up picking that song? Um, You know, I couldn't pick because I liked all the songs, so I think Jamie picked it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, how about this one? No, that one. No, this one's really good. And a lot of times, it's also Jamie tries to pick the ones that... You know, to be fair, he's a singer, so the one that he feels like he can approach... And actually, do um, do some justice to, mm. so that goes kind of going goes into what we pick as well. What was it like covering it? It was fun. <laughs> yeah, I've been really loving those like covers, the song cover projects. Yeah, like, it's really interesting to kind of go into a song, not just as a listener, but to think about like the layers and the, the, like really intently think about the song structure and the arrangement and everything it's been actually a great learning process for me how long do you tend to take on those those covers as well do you try and get them out quite fast or yeah how much yeah and i have to say jamie does a lot of the work on the subscriptions Mm. Um, because he does the postcards and a lot of the covers and everything and he's a crazy workaholic but that still being said, you know, music industry is hard. Music business is hard. And we feel very grateful that when all the COVID stuff happened, we actually managed to have people directly support us through the subscriptions. Mm. Um, and things are not quite the same. And, 
you know, I don't need, I don't think we need to get too deeply into all the things that's wrong and how we're not really supporting artists or musicians or the people doing it um, appropriately. But you know, I think we're gonna keep doing it as long as people. It feels like people are getting something out of it and want want to support us <laughs> doing right. it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it's been, I mean, I'm super grateful for it. Like, it's been a huge, huge help for us and continues to be for us while we try to figure all this stuff out on, like, how to make it and live as people doing music. Mm. Obviously, you did your move from L.A. to Berlin. Mm-hmm. Have you had a sense of the differences between how they treat music as a profession and how viable it becomes because i mean in the uk i think there's very much the sense that live music is not supported there's very little public money made available and venues are closing all the time and very Mm. much struggling but yeah what's what was that like i mean do you get a sense of the differences between the two cities in that sense yeah on a very just over generalized systematics you know, institutional sense, there definitely is more public funding available for music and not just specific types of music, like classical or whatever, but like experimental music. Um, And it's really awesome to be in Berlin and see just a lot more variety Mm. of performances and music happening and a lot of them being funded not by ticket sales, but by just like government funding. So I think just having that kind of stuff available is really awesome. They also have, you know, um, a pension and insurance program for artists, just like musicians, writers, whatever, like all types of people in the creative business, which is super amazing that you can build up a pension doing this. Oh my God, that's astonishing, yeah. Yeah. But also it, you know, it's, I don't want to overgeneralize because at the same time, there's, I think, a lot of musicians and types of music that fall between the cracks, mm. you know, in any place. And it's some of those that don't get, like, super widespread, like, pop commercial success, but at the same time don't have maybe the cachet or the formality or, um, I don't know, even, like, maybe somebody just doesn't have the grant writing skills to right, of like get yeah. access to the public funding, right? And that's what I mean. I would say even like public funding is pretty limited too. And you know, I know somebody who's gotten their applications approved fourteen times, but also somebody who's applied fourteen times and like never gotten anything. Oh my goodness. You know, so yeah. you know, I think in the end, especially with the advent of tech, which is global and how that really impacts just the industry as a whole is a bit more of a global issue. And I don't think it really matters where you live. Uh, mm. You just have to be a little bit more conscious about like how you're consuming music and how you're really supporting the music and the art that you like and want to see it continue. And it, I don't think it really matters whether you're in Europe or US. To return to this PJ Harvey record, um, <laughs> you mentioned that you came across PJ Harvey and maybe this record specifically in college. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think back to like memories and experiences that you have wrapped up in this record from those times, mm-hmm. like what kind of places or scenarios 
come to mind? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's like a typical college kid. Like you have, you know, you're like left your home. You're living in the Bay Area, like or not Bay, but you know, you're living outside of home. You're going out super late at night. Nobody's stopping you. You're like <laughs> riding your bicycle around town and getting drunk and. Just blasting some PG Harvey along with whatever new music you can find and consume. I think this was also kind of around the time that when like Torrent was becoming really popular. Uh huh. So I think we really just, I mean, I was stealing CDs from Tower before that. So once <laughs> 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 Torrent came in, I mean, I think we're all like completely blown away by like, what do you mean we can have all the songs, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and I'm not saying that really worked out well for the music industry as a whole, but as like a freaking like 19 year old, you're like, what? Amazing, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so I just remember it being like, I, I kind of, I visualize a nighttime like bike ride with all my friends after some like dumb house party at a warehouse <laughs> like probably a little butt should not be on a bicycle without a helmet like <laughs> swerving around and probably just like i don't know um somehow the music is playing on the background like i don't know why i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah oh it's very romantic i like that <laughs> um, you mentioned Meet the Monster as mm-hmm. one of the ones that floats to the top. Uh, I'm going to play a clip from one of the songs in a second. So throw a few in the mix for like, which ones really jut out for you on this to bring you my love album? I would say, um, come on, Billy. Hmm. Because I mean, absolutely. When when she sings "Come on, Billy," like how can you not sing along? Yeah. The way that she sings "Come on, Billy," you're like, ah. Oh. Um, <laughs> and I would say "Long Snake Moan," like yeah. that intro and that "Come on," like that beginning of that song when it like just drops. You're like, it hits. It is hard. Let's go to your final important album. So, yeah, tell me the name of it and then a little bit about why this one's important to you. Yeah, it's Cecil Taylor and it's, I believe it's a recording of his solo performance in Japan. I forgot which city, maybe. Um, and it was 1976, I think. Mm. Um and I have to tell you, I, for a long time, I had no idea what the city was called because huh. it was in Japanese. I picked up like a Japanese version of the city somewhere. Right. And then, <laughs> I think like a few months ago, I realized it was called Solo. No way. It was like, great. Wow. <laughs> like, so okay, that's, I'm glad I'm not the only one who have a bad time coming up with song titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean the the artwork's very intriguing, though, right? Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. you know, that's that's bringing the intrigue rather than just the solo. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I he's an he's obviously an incredible musician. Um, I think he did a lot of coke, is what I hear. Here I am right. spreading rumors, but. <laughs> <laughs> Who know nothing about musicians, and the first thing I mention is like, oh, she did a lot of coke. <laughs> Straight in with the gossip, yeah. Right, but I mean, I just think it's funny because, like, you hear his music, and sometimes you're just like, why was he on? You know, Absolutely. it's nice to have that answer sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, I love this because it's just him. You know, he often plays with a band or with other musicians, and they're amazing too. But this is just him going at the piano, him and the piano, just for like, oh my god! If I don't even know how long the album is, you just kind of listen to it, and you just lose track of time. Mm. But it's incredible, and I mean, I don't really know how to describe it because, but that he just kind of plays and. You know, if you were like, what is the tone? What is the mood? And I'd be like, piano? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it just just goes somewhere or nowhere at all. It, like, twirls around and goes back and forth. But he's... And it's something that I play um, and maybe take a little bit too much inspiration from... (laughs) Like, sometimes when I feel a little bit stuck on my solo improvisations or when I'm kind of been playing and and feeling a little frustrated, I'll actually just listen to this for a while. Hmm. And I think there's a lot of freedom in it and a lot of experimentation and obviously just um, a little bit like a wildness to it. But at the same time, there's, a, there's so much skill and restraint and mastery in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that I find it actually like a fascinating piece of mu- music. Do you remember how you discovered this one? Um, I think it might have been Aquarius Records in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I don't think it was in me, but it may have been Aquarius. And I think I was just looking at probably like the avant-garde, avant-garde jazz section because, you know, I was being kind of douchey or pretentious or whatever and then, or maybe I was looking at the pop and just happened to wander into the wrong section of the store or whatever but <laughs> but I, I think I know I think I probably was trying to find different types of sounds um, and those record stores are great to just browse through and see what people put up as recommendations and I think it was one of like the recommended albums by somebody who worked there you mentioned that you listened to this in order to feel inspired or to just kind of, I guess, dislodge yourself um, in particular moments. Uh, I also read, I think this was Jamie who said this, that you'll occasionally, I don't know if you still do do this, but put on Cecil's music and play along as well and respond to what he's doing. Is that right? I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, wait, he said that I do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there may have been a couple of times when I would just play some people uh-huh. and then kind of go off from that and try to see. When I was really working on just improvising and getting more familiar with a different range of sounds, 
But I mean, I would also be very, very embarrassed to admit as such because I mean, I don't play nearly as well as most of the people, let alone Cecil Taylor, and to say I can do like a back and forth, even through a recording with him, I'm like, no, come on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it does um, remind me that I think there's a description uh, within the text for your new album, and I don't know whether this is your words or you know someone else, but talks about your interest in ecstatic piano performance which is a <laughs> lovely cluster of words i wonder if you could tell me a bit about that like what does ecstatic piano mean for you yeah uh i i think lawrence wrote that i mean i don't know who writes those descriptions for like the room for a press releases mm. i think he does and if no matter who did it i just want to say like thank you it's a very very flattering way of describing my piano playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would assume that it goes to just, I try my best to bring a definite energy and kind of, I would say, a very like Cecil Taylor inspired playing mm. to it, which is. I mean, a lot of times, very unrestrained and unexpected, or as as far as, you know, I can manage it. Um, at the same time, like, not just be banging on the piano, but there's, there's some progression to it, and there's mm-hmm. some mood and skill that I try to put into it as well. And if that comes across as ecstatic, then I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's wonderful. I should say as well, I think the piano playing two things. I I, I saw, I think, um, Val Wilmer described Cecil Taylor's playing as, I don't know if Cecil was consciously doing this or not, but um, using extra tonality. So basically, like, instead of playing the key, playing everything that isn't part of the key, which has this lovely evocation of sort of, he's playing the negative space kind of Mm. mindfully around any given sort of traditional piano key which i think is lovely um what i love about your playing on strands and also eel is this even though it's going so many directions at once there's this like sense that something is being very much communicated and it's almost slipping out of your hands as you try and grab it um i wondered about your relationship with improvisation I mean I think you mentioned earlier on when we talked about this record about the fact that you know we're starting to look into improvisatory techniques for piano I mean what has that trajectory been like for you in terms of becoming or playing more within an improvisatory context I mean is it is it an ongoing process for you do you still feel like you're breaking new ground in terms of how you relate to the piano yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was a really, it's a really long trajectory. I grew up somewhat learning the piano. I mean, it was never a very formal education. But, you know, I, as I'm, I may have mentioned, I'm an Asian child of immigrants, so piano playing was just part of what you did right, <laughs> at some right. point when you're going up on a violin or something, right? Like, And my mom would just send me off to our neighbor who happened to have a piano and knew how to play piano, and would, I would, like, she would teach me a lot of the basics. Um, 
But I don't think they ever imagined that I would actually play music、um, as a thing.、Mm. <laughs> I think it's always meant to be like the classy thing you did, you know? <laughs> it was a middle class thing you did. But, you know, because of that, it was you know, a lot of the classics, the Mozart, the Beethoven, the Bach, and like very formal playing. And I always associated piano with that. So it took me a little while first to kind of come back around to figuring out what, the, what else the piano does. And also to kind of really learn my love for classic music.、Mm. I think that only really came after I started getting really into improvisations and then using a lot of like classical pieces also as starting off for improvisations as well. Kind of、oh. like what we mentioned with Sissel. I would. Play some Mozart for a while, and then I'd be like, Oh man, this is like this key is awesome, or like, Oh, that little riff, go Mozart, and then I'll kind of start riffing off on that, you know. <laughs>、oh, that's so, cool. um, so, I mean, it's, it's amazing because it's the improvisation is amazing because it's taught me and kind of pushes me to keep pushing against. Preconceived notions of what sounds good or what doesn't sound good、mm. while expanding my idea of what does sound good, right?、Mm. So, for example, I mean, when we go back to Cecil Taylor, like if you talk to a lot of classics people or just almost a lot of music people, and you show them, you'd be like, this is not going to sound good, <laughs> right? <laughs> you'd be like, what do you mean these keys together? Like, how can that sound good? But And not everyone will agree, but it's to me, like it fucking does, right? Like、mm-hmm. it sounds incredible. And there's, and I, I don't know enough about music theory or about it to like why it does, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, but it's something that I think for me has only really come through just continuous playing.、Um, and so to that end, I would also say that improvisation takes incredible amounts of practice. Like, more so than just replaying something or like learning a piece and playing it really well, to get to a point where I feel completely able to let go, like, I have to be comfortable enough and feel confident enough to play anything, you know?、Mm. And like, so, like, a weird note slips in from somewhere, I have to be able to go with it and go wherever that's taking me. And unless I had this. I mean, and continuing practice of just like daily playing,、um, I wouldn't know. Like, there's only a limit as to what banging on the piano does. Right, <laughs> right.、Um, I was going to ask, what does, you mentioned daily practice, what does practice look like for you? Yeah, and maybe I'm exaggerating when I say it's daily. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make it daily, you know, but、nice. it's not. But I, I do definitely try to carve out some time where. You know, I just sit and just play, even if it's for a little bit. And sometimes I don't feel like improvising.、Mm. So I'll just actually open up, you know, Mozart or Bach or even like the Roy Orbison songbook and <laughs> <laughs> start playing those for a little bit.、Um, other times I don't, I just kind of like play around on it.、Um, but just to play. And I think it's kind of like working out, you know? Sometimes、mm-hmm. you may not feel like doing it right off the bat, but once you start doing it, give it like five minutes, and then you just, you just lose yourself in a little bit.、Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then when I'm actually preparing for um, a performance or like actually working on recording something, there's a little bit more structure. You know, I'll actually like be working towards something and trying to figure out a certain range of sounds or a tone or like certain transitions between this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I don't know what else to say besides you just kind of just like get in front of the piano and just play. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And to return to this Cecil Taylor album, sounds like I'm getting the impression it's one you've had in your life for a fair while. Um, do you have any thoughts on why you've probably said this throughout you know these various questions but why is it still the important one like why when you think over like three records you know that are important to you this record that like I say sounds like you've had in your life for a while why does this float to the top still I think there's still so much in it that's to be discovered Mm. Um, for me personally just in all the questions I still had about how does it sound good like what is he playing what is he on like (laughs) how did he how does he do this Um, and there's still like sound not just like technique but certain feelings and meaning behind it that I think I'm still discovering in it it's a really intriguing album one more question for you um okay which is and this may not have an answer if you were to really really listen to an album or you you know you really want to sink your teeth into a record maybe one of these important records do you have a favorite place or context uh, in which to listen like you know is it headphones or speakers are you in a particular place yeah what does that look like for you the road Huh. Cool. <laughs> just driving yeah no traffic there can't be any traffic <laughs> yeah that's not driving otherwise yeah, it's no just... just like an open road um, night time is amazing mm-hmm. especially when it's one of those like open freeways where there's no not a lot of street lights and it's just you and maybe there's like a big truck driving maybe like 20 kilos behind you so you don't really make it up but you just it's like ominous single car light coming behind you slowly but steadily towards you (laughs) and you're driving you're trying to drive too fast but at the same time be well in advance of that single car in that completely dark open road with nothing around and then you turn on this one of these albums and just hope that if you're going to die (laughs) in the next hour this is the last thing you listen to (laughs) god that descended so god i really bought into it um, oh wow I felt my stomach go that's phenomenal do you have a good sound system in your car? Uh, one of the cars I had the other ones probably could do better but <laughs> <laughs> great um, 
Yanyo, thank you so much. This has been great. I've really enjoyed listening to this very eclectic selection of records. Uh, your record um, is gorgeous as well. Like I say, people, please do check it out. It's so good. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jack. It was nice talking to you. And to everyone listening, I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.